this evening lesson rather generously because really tonight what I'm, I want to give you and I have to I have to cut this um, meeting short probably by about 10 minutes now don't don't frown Cindy it's only 10 minutes but tonight they're having some kind of thing in Iwana where I'm going to have the kids are throwing pies in my face okay that's that's ha- yes that's happening tonight and uh, I've been dreading it for three weeks but uh, we're gonna we're gonna do that the kids raised a bunch of money to start Iwana programs in Africa and as their prize, they get to throw pies in my face. So I'm kind of, I'm actually kind of excited about that. You know, if you're, if you, if there's ever a time when you just say, I'm not going to do that, you're just too old. You're too old. Okay. And that's actually what I'm talking about tonight. So I want to give you a little background and then we'll get uh, into our Bible to open to Psalm 90 and we'll go to Psalm 92, which is the text on your outline in a minute, but go to Psalm 90 first, look at Psalm 90, but a little bit of background. So this is a good thing to do gentlemen, and uh, I highly recommend that you do this. In, uh, in my life, I have um, somehow years, many years ago, got involved in being uh, a, um, a personal representative, or what some states call the executor of an estate. Um, and I've actually done this primarily for people not related to me. So um, I don't even remember how I got involved in this, but now I've, I've represented numerous estates as the executor, what Indiana refers to as the personal representative. And typically it's been for church members who don't have a kid that they trust to be fair with the other kids. I mean, that's pretty much what it's amounted to, you know, or, or, or maybe they, their kids, they don't think their kids are capable of it. And so they've entrusted their estate into my hands so that after their demise, I would handle all of the closing business of that. And so after having done that successfully on many occasions, I, uh, I know a few things about that. And, and one of the frustrating things is this, I, uh, if someone dies and they haven't told me everything and written it down, can you imagine walking into someone's home, a home you're unfamiliar with, they are now gone, and you begin looking for paperwork? Can you imagine that? I've done that, okay? I've done that. Um, and it is a nightmare because you just don't know. So uh, after having done that one time, I, going forward, have told anyone who wants me to help them in their estate after their death, I've instructed them that they have to give me certain documents. And I give them a list of documents. I say, this has to be given to me. I had one case that, that I told the lady to have it all done. She had it already. She had it in a briefcase. She showed me the briefcase. She told me where the briefcase would be. Uh, and it included a lot of paperwork. And then uh, before she even passed away, the disgruntled daughter took the briefcase and burned it. She burned all of its contents, okay? Now, I'm still the executor, and when it all came down to it, she threatened to sue me uh, to make me not the executor. And I said, you shouldn't sue me because I was declared the executor by the, by the court. And if you decide to sue me, I can take all of your inheritance and defend myself legally right out of your inheritance. And uh, so the lawsuit was dropped rather quickly. And, uh, and we, we moved on. It took about nine months to get through all of that because there was a lot of property. But here's something I learned. Here's something I learned from, from doing this. I learned how important it is for someone to know, for someone to know. Well, he's a pastor, Monty, you know, I've, uh, as the man, I handle, I happen to, there's not a biblical mandate about this, but I happen to be the one that handles our family's finances, and so I'm very familiar with it. But Kelly is not 
Kelly is not. Now, one time I tried to sit her down and, and, and go through it all, and that lasted about seven minutes. And she said, I, this bores me. She said, I'm not interested in this. So here's what I've done. I, I've written a letter. I'm going somewhere with all this. I've written a letter that is entitled, In the Event of My Untimely Demise. <laughs> Because, of course, my demise is going to be untimely no matter when it happens. And so I've written that letter, and, and it details everything Kelly needs to know. Everything. I'm talking about accounts, passwords, all of the life insurance information. I mean, it's all. It's, this is multi-page. This thing goes multi-pages um, where I have stuff stored, where valuables are. I mean, all kinds of things. Just, just any information. Because if you imagine yourself not to be here anymore, and then your wife, maybe your wife is not familiar with all of this, or maybe the husband, you're not familiar with all of this, it should be written down. And that letter should be kept in a very uh, secure location so that when the... And, and I've got my letter, and then beneath my letter is everything. Car titles, all the insurance policies, lists of things, okay, where she will find enough cash money to bury me, to pay for my funeral. I've paid for my funeral already, but I didn't give it to the funeral director. I'm holding it, okay? But it tells exactly where she needs to go to get cash to pay for my funeral. And it's going to be, folks, it's going to be lavish, no, actually not. It's not. It's going to be the cheapest funeral on the planet. But, but um, I'm recommending, you say, okay, why? When I was doing this, I do it every January and work, it usually takes several weeks to update because you have to update everything, all the information, you know. Uh, if you have any indebtedness, you need to include all that, you know, you update all the stuff. Um, and when you think about that, kind of depressing, right? Do you know what? It indicates you're getting older. Now, I'll turn 57, the ripe old age of 57, in just a few weeks. And that, to me, that feels old. I mentioned it the other Sunday, and Kelly, uh, after church, she said, I couldn't believe you said that. And I said, well, it's true. And she said, I know, but I didn't realize you were that old. Which, which actually is a compliment, because she's thinking of me in my 20s. But look, if you will, at Psalm 90. So all of this is kind of coming to my mind. Psalm 90 the Bible says this, the days of our years are threescore years and ten, if by reason of strength they be fourscore, that would be eighty years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. Okay, a lot of hard work and a lot of tough times, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. He's speaking now to God. And then he says this, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. There is wisdom in recognizing that you're not going to be here forever. There is wisdom and grace in preparing for what could be the inevitable. Now, I hope we're all around for a very long time, but there's wisdom in being prepared. Now turn over, you, you're right there, Psalm 92. Psalm 92. Look at verse number 13. Psalm 92, verse 13. As we're all getting a little older here, Psalm 92, 13. The Bible says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. It's a good thing to be planted if you're planted in the right place. It's a good thing to be planted in your faith. It's a good thing to be planted in your convictions. It's a good thing to be planted in your church, to be planted, to, to put down roots somewhere. That's really what that verse is talking about. And then it says this, of those that are planted and flourishing in the courts of our God, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. Isn't that good? Now, he's using the picture of a planting, like a fruit tree. 
and they've been planted, and even in old age they're going to bring forth fruit, they shall be, note the next words, fat and flourishing. That's talking about old age. Okay, now, I've got the fat part down. Okay, that, 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 that's, that already done, arrived a long time ago. But you know what I want to have down in my life? I want the flourishing part to be down. And so I was thinking about all of this stuff, writing that, that letter and, and, and working on all that. I was thinking about all of this stuff, and then I got to thinking about this. I hope that I will grow old gracefully. Now, this message is not just for we who are, are up in years a little bit. This message is for everyone. Uh, because growing old gracefully begins when you're young. So look at your introduction. 30, and, and I'm writing this in the first person because this is personal reflection. I'm giving you personal reflection tonight. 35 years of pastoral ministry has given me a bird's eye view of the lives of hundreds of people. And in many people's lives, I've had a front row seat. I've watched infants grow to children. Now, now this, this, when I thought about this, it really made me feel old. How many think about stuff and you feel old? Yeah, okay, good, good, good. I've, I've watched infants grow to children, then teenagers, then young adults, all within this church. I've watched the vibrant middle-aged man grow old and feeble. I've been at the deathbed to say goodbye. And one thing I desire as I approach my 57th birthday is that I will grow old gracefully. And I've had the privilege, by the way, in 25 years of watching people in this church, many of whom, not all, not all, but many of whom who have grown old gracefully. And I'm telling you something, folks, for, for the younger generations, it's really valuable for them to see that. And it's very valuable for you mentally. So I, I was thinking about this. I want to grow old gracefully. So this lesson, it's really a reflection, will merely reflect some of my goals and musings as I move out of middle age. I read this to my wife, and Kelly said this. She said, are you really moving out of middle age? I said, well, 57, I don't know, 55, I don't know. It seems like you're, <laughs> I'll tell you what, you're going the wrong direction, right? You're not getting any younger, so that's what I put in here. She was a little critical of that. It's just shocked that we're thinking this way. And, and I want this lesson to reflect what I want to do as I grow old. So all of these things, by the way, have a biblical basis, but I need to go through them with you quickly tonight. And what I want you to do, what I want you to do is this. I want you to think for a minute, as the psalmist encourages us, to number our days, okay? Consider and think, and then determine how can I sharpen myself so that I ultimately, even if I'm younger in the room, that I ultimately grow old gracefully because doing so is more of a habit of life now than it is a decision at the end of life. It's really hard to make up for decades and decades and decades. But if you start now, you can gain the reputation of growing old gracefully. So uh, I, here's just some thoughts I put down, and I'm sharing them. They're, they're rather personal, but I'm sharing them with you tonight. I want to remain curious. I really do to develop new interests, to consider new ideas, to take on new projects. Curiosity is an antidote for cynicism. I don't want to get set in my ways. Now, there are certain ways I'm set in. The coffee I drink, the first thing in the morning when I turn on the coffee maker, I have certain rituals and patterns. I think those are just fine, but I don't want to get so set in my ways that everything has to be the same and I'm never open to something new. 
Well, the greatest challenge to me in this area is Dr. Arlen Horton, the president, former president and founder of Pensacola Christian College. The man is in his 90s, I believe now. His wife several years ago passed away. He, uh, he did remarry, which, you know, wow, you know, he's that old and he, he remarried. But before he remarried, I was visiting him. He lives in an assisted living place. I was visiting him. And he's been retired now for several years from the college, and, and he's in assisted living, and we were in a, in a common area. And he said, he said, Dr. Monty, I want you to come up to my room, and I'm going to show you something. So I, I thought, oh, this is cool. I get to go to Dr. Horton's room. He has a little apartment there in, in the assisted living place. And uh, he said, I'm going to show you my new business venture. Now, the man is like 90 years old, okay? And I said, what is it, Dr. Horton? He said, I am going to undercut every piano teacher in America. He said, I'm working with technology people and a premier uh, pianist. We're developing a program where young people will be able to hook this into an iPad and then they will play piano music and learn piano from an iPad and the iPad will tell them if it's wrong and blah, 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 blah. blah. And he's explaining all of this and he said, it will make millions. Now, now, by the way, by the way, here's a guy in his life who made billions funneled it all back into that college, okay? And then right away he said to me, you know, he said, uh, he said, Dr. Monty, I don't need the money. He said, but it sure is something fun to do. Wow. Can I just say wow? Okay, I, I certainly hope that I still have that kind of drive and, and interest, okay? So I thought, I thought about him. I thought I want to remain curious and get the new interest. Number two, quickly, number two, I want to find life beyond limitations. As we get older, we do have certain limitations. We know that we do. You know, Pastor Morris, he still plays pickleball. However, he broke a huge hole in the gymnasium wall. It has now been fixed. But uh, he's not letting his limitations stop him. But uh, look at what I've written there at point two. Like aged Caleb... I want another mountain to climb. Joshua 14:12 is the reference. This means maintaining the best physical strength I can. Now, now listen, listen. I don't, you're not going to probably run a marathon. Bully for you if you do. But you know what you should do? You've got to maintain mobility. Okay, I'm, I'm convinced of that. I attempt to go to the gym three times a week. I try to walk. I try to do all these things. Why, Pastor Monty? Because you're going to be a great athlete? No. There's no possibility of that. There never was from the day that I was born because I'm not well-coordinated. But I, I want to be able to move around. Okay, well, you know, I'm just so tired when I go to the store. I, I use one of those smart carts, and I ride around the store. Now, look at me, look at me. If you don't need that, don't ever do it. Do you hear what I said? Don't do that. There are some people that just hop on that thing because they're lazy and like to cruise around the store, okay? I, don't do that. If you lose your mobility, you lose a lot about life. So how can I maintain my mobility? By walking, by low-impact things, folks. And I, I intend to do this because I've got to be able to get around. I want to be able to do that. Um, that means I have to get out of my comfort zone. It means doing things I don't really want to do. Okay, going to the gym, and a lot of older folks go to the gym, the, the Planet Fatness up there in Brownsburg where I go, a lot of the older folks go, and, and you know, they're doing low-impact things, they're there. Um, Pastor, you know, when you go in the mornings, do you want to go? No, no, no. There's not been one morning when I got up at 5 o'clock and said to myself, Self, I can't wait to get there. Yeah, woo, never. Do you know what I do? I wake up at 5 o'clock and try to think, man, maybe I should text Jay and tell him I don't want to go. 
I never want to go. I never want to go. I'd be lying to you if I said I wanted to go. I never want to go. But you know what? I need to do it. And when you walk out, you feel better. At least you've accomplished something. And if you keep on keeping on and keeping on, eventually you'll be in good enough shape that if something happens to you, you can likely recover. I'm simply saying, don't, don't decide, well, you can't do this anymore, okay? You can gauge things to your own ability level. You don't have to kill yourself over it, but you should do it. Number three, as I grow older, I want to make new friends, meet new people, and go to new places. Why? People are important. It's real easy just to get locked up in your little shell, but that's not a good thing. I've, I've written here, and you can look this up, loneliness is a significant negative outcome factor. When people get older and they become lonely, it really is impactful on their general health. So what do you do? You, you try to meet new people, not just the friends you have, because building new relationships is challenging, and it is healthy on every level. Okay, now... The good news is, you're Faith Baptist Church. There are hundreds of people that you could be friends with. You don't have to be friends with all of them, but there are hundreds of people you could go out to dinner with, or you could say, have someone over to your house, or, or some socialize like that. Um, it's really important to do that. Someone said, well, you know, Pastor Monty, I used to be a good cook, but I've, I've kind of stopped cooking. Well, let me ask you a question. Can you still cook? Well, yeah, I, I can still cook. Then don't ever stop cooking. Okay, in all honesty, don't ever stop, because if you stop, you lose the touch. How many know about the touch with cooking? Yeah, you'll, you'll lose that touch, and then all of a sudden, you, you've limited yourself too much, okay? Keep on keeping on. Your husband will love it too, but I just think it's good to make new friends, meet new people, to be excited about something in life, to, by the way, to have something different. Well, Pastor Money, it's very important at my age that I have everything the same. No, 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 you've, you're building for yourself a, a rut, and what is, what is a rut in life? What is a rut? Okay, it's a grave with the ends kicked out. And you don't want to do that. So you want to think of something new and something different. Number four, I want to embrace, and the key word here is acceptable, because there's a lot of change in our world that is not biblically acceptable, and we will not embrace it, no matter how much our culture uh, tries to shove it down our throat. But I want to embrace acceptable change rather than push against the inevitable. Maybe I will have to learn something new or do something differently. And it frustrates the fire out of me, okay? I'm tired of apps. I'm tired of having to use my cell phone to make coffee or open the garage door or flush the toilet. I'm tired of that. I, I, I just don't see much of a purpose. But if the world is coming to it, then I can fight against the inevitable and get myself all wound up emotionally, or I can just say, okay, I just have to learn how to do it the newfangled way, we'll call it. Um, rather than complain, I think I'll just try. I may not like it, and folks, I don't but I may have to live with it. I might as well minimize emotional opposition and focus on being happy. All this computer stuff, you know, I, when, when, uh, when we took over the care of my mother, uh, when she came to live with us, um, a lot of things had been neglected. Her, everything was done on paper, you know, all her finances, everything was on paper. My mother never logged on that I know of to a website in her life. I don't think she ever did that. And a lot of that went electronic. And then I got to think about this. How do older people do that now? Because they'll, they'll tell, well, you have to log on. 
You can't even talk to a human being anymore. Well, you have to log on. So some of these skills have unfortunately, in my mind, become essential skills. You, know, you want to talk to your doctor? Well, you have to log on. Well, what if you're 90 years old and can't log on? Well, you better have someone that can log on, but the best thing you could do is keep up with it a little bit so that as you age, you're growing old gracefully. I, I don't like any of that stuff, but I'm going to try to do it, and I'm just going to try. All right, move off that one. That makes me uncomfortable. Number five. Number five. I want to listen to the thoughts and ideas of the younger generation without being dismissive and without being a curmudgeon. I really do. Do you know why? If they're willing to talk to me, I want to listen. And the only way I can communicate truth back to them is to know what they're thinking, to know what troubles them, to know what bothers them as individuals. It's, it's really important. It doesn't hurt to have an open heart. I don't want to be the ornery old second guesser. I want the younger generation to see Jesus in me, not an old crank with nothing nice to say. You see, we turn people off sometimes when we, ah, you know, this generation is just the worst generation ever. Well, you know what? The generation older than you said that about you. <laughs> they did. They did. And I know it's all, been, it's all been kind of downhill spiral, but you know what I need to do? I need to listen to their concerns. Okay, I need, to, by the way, I need to listen to their fears and help assuage them of their fears. And this generation is different from any generation that we've ever encountered. Okay, very, very different. They, they have grown up in a computerized world the size of their cell phone. And it is a world that most of us did not grow up in. And that has influenced them immeasurably. And I need to understand that so I can counter that in their life. I need to know how to speak their language. On Sunday night, I talked about being relevant. And that's kind of what uh, we're dealing with here. Okay, But uh, if I close my mind to everything they have to say, or if I'm dismissive of them, then I will fail to impart the wisdom of God's truth. And if I fail in that, they are a lost generation. In fact, some people call this the lost generation. They are a lost generation. And I need to listen. It means this. It means this. Listening to your kids, listening to your grandkids. And when they express something that's a concern to them or a fear, don't just dismiss it because it's really a big deal to them. Things that we would never imagine are a big deal to this generation. So we want to listen. And as I grow older, I want to keep my ear to the rail. I cannot be an effective pastor unless I understand what's happening out there, and especially if I'm unwilling to listen to them. Um, then number six, I like this one. I, this is so hard for me, I want to stay in my lane you said, what, what does that mean? In other words, don't get out of my lane. Kelly says this to me all the time. When I start meddling with things that I shouldn't be meddling with, she will just say, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. I swerve out of my lane. Okay, I, I, I do. But as my responsibilities change, and they do over time, we all know it, and eventually diminish, I want to mind my own business and contribute when invited. I do not to want to run the show from a wheelchair. I have no desire to do this. Dr. Horton, who, uh, who retired from Pensacola Christian College, and having built that billion-dollar corporation and, and, uh, and influenced tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of young people and lives and blah, 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 blah. When he, he, years ago, when he was still the president, I was having dinner with him at a restaurant downtown. Kelly and I were. We were eating dinner, and he said, to, hey, he said, would you like to come see my house? I said, yeah, we'd like to see it. He had a beautiful home. 
Uh, I believe it was on Grandview Bay in Pensacola, right on the bay. It had its own dock that went out from the property in a boat. And a beautiful home, beautiful. Not huge, but uh, it, just a very nice home. And uh, we were talking. Dr. Horton said, yes, he said, we've loved the home. Of course, it's owned by the college. He said, we love the home. But he said, you know, we're, we're prepared to leave. I said, what do you mean by that, Dr. Horton? He said, well, he said, we've got our room ready in assisted living at Azalea Trace. He said, we're, we're, we're prepared to leave. He said, the day will come. Dr. Motti, the day will come when I will get out of bed and I will look at Becca and I will say, today is the day. They said assisted living required, they had theirs all reserved, said assisted living required that they be able to walk into the building and check in on their own two feet without assistance. And he said, I'm going to come to the point when I'm, I know that today is the day. And I said, Dr. Horton, how are you going to know? He said, I'll just know. I'll just know. Well, he did know. And one day he looked at his wife and said, today is the day. And they took some belongings with them. They had the, the place was already furnished. It was just waiting for them. And they walked through and they checked in. And he said, Pastor Monty, that must have been a huge blow to go from this, this beautiful home on the, uh, the Gulf of Mexico now to, to assisted living. You know what Dr. Horton said to me as he was talking about it? He said, I'm excited to see what God has for me in the next chapter. Wow. You want to talk about growing old gracefully? I mean, that's very graceful, and, and he has managed to do that. Um, <clears throat> our responsibilities do change, and I want to be the kind of person that, that gets, and by the way, when he stepped away as president of the college there, um, they, the college told him, well, well, you can keep your office there, and he did for a little while. And I said, Dr. Horton, I said, uh, after he had stepped away, I said, Dr. Horton, I said, how, how much do you go into the office? He said, Never. He said, I don't. He said, I used to go in minimum 16 hours a day. He said, but I don't anymore. I said, oh, come on, Dr. Horton. I think I know you pretty well. I, I, I'm sure you want to go down there and meddle around. And he said, no. He said, no. He said, the new president has to have free reign. He said, when I walked away, he said, I walked away. Isn't that remarkable? And he's managed, having built that multi-billion dollar corporation, he has managed to stay in his lane. I want to do that. Well, you pass money, you're, you're the pastor. I know, but someday someone else will be the pastor. Did you know that? Where are you going to be? Right here. Ooh, I just shocked some of you. Deacons just got nervous. I'm not going anywhere. Okay, when I retire, or you vote me out... <laughs> because I'm not going to retire. It'll have to be a dramatic vote out. Um, just kidding. When I retire, I'd hope to stay right here. Well, Pastor Monty, you should just go sail off into the sunset and leave all my friends and leave my family of decades. Are you kidding me? I wouldn't do that. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, unless someone gave me $55 million in a home in Florida, maybe. But, but that's, that's, that's not going to happen, okay? Uh, I wouldn't want to leave my friends. Well, well, yeah, but won't you make the new guy nervous? Well, I hope not. And at that point, it'll be the real test. Can I stay in my lane? Can I stay in my lane? That will be the real test. Now, now those of you who live long and see it, should the Lord tarry's coming, we'll see what happens. But I, I want to, when that day comes, just support the new guy. Support the new guy, okay? That's growing old gracefully, okay? It's, it's not ripping someone apart or criticizing on and on. Okay, last, next one, next one, number eight, I think it is on the, number seven on the next page. Uh, back page, I want to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, James 1.19. I don't want to be a critic or someone whose knee-jerk reaction is to oppose anything that is new. I want to listen more 
It's hard for me. Speak less. That's really hard for me. And not get worked up about things easily. That's growing old gracefully, okay? That's, that's really important. Number eight, I want to mend fences and bury hatchets. As much as lieth in me, I want to live peaceably with all men, Romans 12, 18. I want to reflect Jesus in the area of forgiveness. I do not want bitterness or resentment to find a place in my soul. I want to take full responsibility for relationships that are important to me. Every sentence of that really means something. Well, Pastor Money, I've been at odds with so-and-so for decades. Why? Let me ask you, have you tried? I talked to a man, professor of a Bible college. He's at odds, an older man. He's at odds with his sister. And I said, you know that's not biblical. Well, I'll be fine with her when she comes and apologizes. I said, have you ever approached her? No, it's her job to approach me. Do we read the same Bible? Do we read? If, if I recognize that someone is out against me, the Bible says I'm to leave my gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to my brother. How important is that? How, how many times I've seen families divided and sometimes parents divided from their kids over something that happened years ago and they get bitter and everyone's mad and the family is estranged. I hate the word estranged, okay? The family is estranged. And you know what's worse? What's worse is when the adults, the parents now, the adults don't do anything to approach those kids and just let it lie. I see the end of that when someone dies and people are sad, remorseful, regretful, sometimes still deeply bitter. And you know what? Well, they, they're the ones who caused the problem, Pastor Mike. They need to come and apologize to me. You look at me. You look at me. They might not. You're the parent. You're the, well, they're grown up. I don't care if they're grown up. I don't care how grown up they are. You're the adult, okay? You approach them. Now, there are some people that are you know, incorrigible, and there's nothing you can do with that. But at least you will go to your grave knowing you tried. And I firmly believe that with my heart and soul. I need to, I want to do that in life. Um, number nine, I want to find a purpose, a series of new purposes as I age. I want to be involved in things I choose to be involved in. And I want to see the greatness of every opportunity, even if it's something really small. I still want life to hold fascination for me. I still want to be interested in the things in, in life. And I still want to help. I still want, to the best of my ability, to contribute wherever I can, doing the things I can do. Oh, Pastor Monty, I can't wait for retirement. I won't have to do anything. How awful. How awful does that sound? Okay, when, by the way, when, when, by the time you retire, guess what? You have years of experience, right? You, have a, you know more than you did 40 years ago, okay? You know more, you've got tons of experience, you've got a lot of wisdom, and then you sit and watch Let's Make a Deal reruns. What a waste of brilliance when you can contribute to something and you have the ability and the mind to do it. Look at number 10, I want to live in the present without allowing nostalgia to make me dissatisfied or bitter. I want to be thankful for the good old days. I certainly am, the 1980s for me. I want to be thankful for the good old days while enjoying the good new ones. I do not want to try to turn the clock back. It simply doesn't work. So you can find something wonderful every day of your life. And I want to do that as I grow older. I, I, I don't want to say, ah, things were better back in 1952. They probably were. 
But you know what? Don't be bitter about that. There's something good you can find about today. I hope that I can do that as I grow older. Number 11, I want to love my family and friends more deeply and purposefully than ever. I want to spend hundreds of quiet evenings ignoring text messages from you. Did I really write that? Hundreds of quiet evenings ignoring text messages from you and just watching TV with Kelly. Doesn't that sound fun? We love to watch TV. Pastor Monty, that sounds so old. Look, it's winter. It's Indiana. What's a body to do? Okay. I went to the gym in the morning, so there I am at watching a little television. I want my relationship with my kids to be solid, and I recognize that that is my responsibility and not theirs. Well, Pastor Monty, they're too busy. You know what you can do? Force them not to be. Okay, or find ways that are appealing to them. Take the whole family on a trip or do something like that if you have the wherewithal to do it. And, and the number 12, number 12, I want to maximize my blessings and minimize my complaints. Life isn't ever perfect, and I want to maintain a grateful heart despite some shortcomings that life and people may have. I want to be known as a positive person, especially as I age. I really do. I really do. I think this is good. Isn't this good? I think these are good thoughts for us. Okay, now, now look at my last paragraph. <clears throat> what makes a good funeral? I was at a funeral today. What makes a good funeral? The answer, a good life. To be remembered as a positive, happy Christian who loved Christ and people is a noble goal. I hope to be missed when I'm gone, but that is my responsibility while I'm here. Ah, nobody misses me. That's a you problem. Okay, that's a you problem. Just remember that. The glory of my life is not the positions I've taken, the battles I've fought, the size of the ministry I leave behind. None of that. My success and that of everyone else is best measured by the tears shed at my funeral. It's exactly true. I know this is so morbid, isn't it? Mr. Bunny, I'm tearing up right now. Please don't. But when it's my funeral, I hope you do. I hope you cry buckets. I hope that there are ushers needed to stand near the casket so that when people swoon and fall over and pass out and roll on the floor in, in wild gales of grief, that, that, that they can be helped. This is what I'm hoping for. In my, you say, Pastor Monty, it's supposed to be a celebration of life. Forget it. I want misery. I want, I, want, I want floods of tears. I want people to be brokenhearted. I want people to stand around saying, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't want people to walk around my casket singing, ding dong, the witch is dead, the witch is dead, witch old witch, the wicked witch. No, I don't want that. I've seen some funerals that were almost like that. <laughs> but it's my responsibility. Um, it, my success then is measured by the tears shed at my funeral. It's right to attend a funeral out of respect. I, we do that. Good people do that. It's better to attend a funeral out of genuine love. Good people find their funerals crowded with those who genuinely love them. And that is the testament to life. It's not the obituary. It's not what they, what they, the little thing that went in the paper. You know what the testimony is? The sorrow of heart, because people are going to miss that person who impacted them for all their life. Well, I'm going to bow in prayer, then I do need to go directly to my office and change into my pie-in-the-face clothing, and if you want to watch it, that's down in the gym. Lord, we love you, and thank you for a command given us in Scripture to number our days. Lord, teach us to do that, 
to remember that every day that we add is another day that we're all in the process right now of dying one stage or another headed that direction and God help us as we grow old should you give us that privilege to do so gracefully thank you for your love in Jesus name amen all right folks